everyone. Welcome back to Startup from Scratch. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, it's our very own Kennedy. And today we're going to be talking about value proposition. Um, Kennedy, you usually do the intros. Uh, and I, I would do an intro for you. But I mean, it's, you know what? Yeah, I'll do an intro. I'll try my best. So Kennedy usually does this part. So I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, so as a lot of you know from our prior episodes or intro episode, uh, Kennedy uh, has started Banting, and Banting is an online marketplace for licensed pharmacies, and she's making it possible for patients to safely purchase insulin from Canada, and in Canada, insulin is about, you know, 70% cheaper, so uh, for anyone who has <clears throat> friends or family that have type 1 or type 2 diabetes, you know that insulin is expensive and uh, finding a way to afford insulin um, is, is, is definitely huge. And, and Kennedy um, has been super passionate about making healthcare something that's available and affordable for everyone. Uh, and, uh, I love, I love how, how you're, how much you're passionate about, about this area. Um, and, so, so that's what Kennedy's doing professionally. But today's episode, we are going to talk about banting, which is why I, I went on that whole rant. But uh, today we're going to talk about value proposition. And um, I mean, you know, why, why do we even have an episode about, about value proposition? I think uh, whether you start a tech business and, and, and you know, go, um, go that route of like talking to angel investors or, or VCs about fundraising, everyone's going to ask you, you know, What's your value proposition? What are you doing differently? But even if you start a very um, different kind of business like e-commerce or just start your online shop on Shopify or Etsy, um, this is something that you should think about is, is what are you building that's um, unique from, from what's out there? Why do people need another, you know, sweatshirt company or why do people need another, um, you know, bar of soap or, 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 or lotion? What are, what are you doing differently? What's your value proposition? So, uh, we wanted to talk to Kennedy about this by we, I mean, me and Kennedy wanted to talk to Kennedy, um, <laughs> because banding has a really, a really, really awesome value proposition. And I think that, um, Kennedy, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, it was, it was very, easy to see that like this was something that people needed and that you had a different way to approach this problem that could, you know, save people a lot of money and, and reduce a lot of anxiety for people who are struggling to afford their insulin. Um, so, so yeah, that was a very long intro. So you do much better, <laughs> much better job at these than me. Um, but I also love banting. So, so that was partially uh, oh, a rant because I love banting. So, but yeah, um, uh, I'll, I'm going to hand it over to you now. I'm going to stop talking. No, I think that's perfect. Um, yeah, I think that, so I think that there's kind of two pieces of how to think about value proposition that I think are usually missing from the conversation. Um, and one of them is what is the value proposition in the first place? Like what, and what does that mean? What, I think that there's a tendency to talk about value proposition in the same way that we talk about a company mission or a sales pitch. And there is certainly the value proposition should be consistent with your mission and it should be consistent and represented by your sales pitch, but it's not really the same thing. 
Um, because what's going to set the value proposition apart is that it's, it's how another person or it's how, how a person is, interacts with the company as an entity. So if you think about what you build as a company, as a separate entity, and yes, it, even as a founder, it's yours and it's your, you know, this thing that you made, but it's still a separate entity, right? And so the value proposition is how different people all around that entity interact with it. And so that means that it's not really that there's one value proposition for a company. There's often multiple. And in the case of Banting, there's three that I really think about a lot. And that, of course, is what's what's what are patients' value proposition? What's my customer value proposition? Um, I need to know what how to understand the investor value proposition. And then as a founder, for me to have a good founder passion fit, there has to be my own founder value proposition alignment. And I think what's really important is to understand what you're doing so well that you understand those three value propositions, how they interact with one another, and that they can all be consistent with one another. That you're not running a three-faced show where you're you know, going to be worried about one person hearing another you know, person's pitch. That's that's bad, right? You you don't want to you don't want to create a, a situation like that for yourself. It should be that you can align, or I think in the best cases, you can align the incentives such that um, the value propositions are internally consistent to the ethos that people are emotionally connecting with as well, and not just structurally mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So take us back from the very beginning when when banting, uh, you know, was something that that was first kind of presented to you. Um, what or did you <clears throat> oh my god what is happening in my throat I don't know if you heard that <laughs> that was gnarly <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay <clears throat> I'm back um but what you know did did you have to define the value proposition or when you know um I, I think it was Parm right that approached you about banting um Parm, Parm is the is the other co-founder uh of banting for whoever doesn't know that um did did you ha- did you guys come up with a value proposition together was was Parm like here's the idea and then you guys had to kind of be like okay well what is the value proposition for our patients customers the investors etc or like how, how does that how do you even define value proposition for anyone listening yeah so uh I actually Parm didn't come to me to start banting. It was actually, we had a third co-founder when we first founded uh, Len and Len and I had known each other for some time and Len and Parm uh, were quite close and were uh, working to start a business together. And uh, they were actually working to start a brewery and uh, realized the opportunity of going into the insulin space because uh, the first step of making insulin is actually very similar to brewing beer. And uh, so they'd been, you know, working on specking out a way to do highly automated production of beer. And so it was like, well, if we add a purification process uh, on the back end, then there's an opportunity to go into a fundamentally different market and a market that has much better, you know, from a business perspective, it's much better margins than beer. But also you can undercut the current market so much because the price inflation in the insulins market is so uh, so artificial and so untethered from the fundamentals of production costs that there is room for these dramatic 90% drops in price and to still have a very uh, productive business. So uh, Len reached out to me just looking for an extra kind of like a uh, set of thoughts to sanity check it and knowing my background being really relevant to this space, um, which I should probably circle back to at some point and kind of explain where 
where my background kind of feeds into my own founder value proposition for Banting. Um, yes. But it was, uh, so he approached me to Sanity Check It. I got super excited about it. And we actually first spec'd it out um, as doing insulin manufacturing and selling it directly to patients. So doing uh, a direct distribution system, which um, I would still really love to do or still love to have that be, be something that exists beca- um, and be part of that. Because uh, that is, I think, the fundamentally the most efficient mechanism. And it's also one where you can provide a truly dedicated supply chain to patients in a way that's much more uh, robust and, and secure for the patients. Um, when we came together around the idea, what we were really all united by was uh, two things. One was this ability to, but, uh, I, guess, I guess more than anything, it, it came down to this um, this, what we saw as an opportunity to create such a profound human value. There's so much need for this. And we had a co- have a combination of skill sets and expertise that enable something that is so badly needed. And so we knew it would be very difficult, but it was worth it because we saw a tremendous value that would be created uh, by that. Um, and, and we all have a very uh, put humans first kind of mindset. And so that just fundamentally changes the way. And that's part of our, our value proposition uh, to the business. And it's an opportunity to run a business that really exemplifies that and uh, in its own way encourages that into a broader system, which I think is super cool. So this is a big problem. This is a well-known problem. So it was fairly evident that there were other people that are interested in how to solve this problem. Um, but one of the most critical things with understanding your value proposition is understanding that it becomes a sort of sorting mechanism and filter mechanism for you. Your value proposition can do work for you. And the way that it can do work for you is by filtering who you spend your time talking to if they aren't aligned to it. Not every person in most cases is going to be fully aligned to your value proposition from the direction they come at it. Um, but as long as there is a sufficient market size of people who are, that's fine. And when I say a market size of people who are, I don't just mean your customer market. I mean, also the investor market. Also, if you're looking for co-founders, there's that's a market of its own right. Um, and so for us, it was as much as it was recognizing and coming to our value proposition, which, you know, if, if we say that we want to help people, then you have to make it um, both affordable and then you have to make it more available. And so we combine those two things into the word accessible. So when we say accessibility at Banting, we are referring to the intersection of affordability and availability um, because it's fairly simple. If if it's physically in front of you, but you can't afford it, it's not accessible. And mm-hmm. if you can afford it, but it's not physically available in front of you, it's not accessible, right? So that's our way to encapsulate that. So once we had that kind of, that, so that to us was kind of an easy translation then that our business is going to be one that's going to be built off of uh, needing to achieve a mass market, you know, mass market type principles. We're not going to target the most affluent segment of the the U.S. population that have the highest disposable income, which is what most companies seek to do, um, because that's there's a lot of profit to be made there. But that's obviously not our fit, right? We're a mass market company. We need to serve a lot of people and keep our margins uh, lower so that we can be an efficient solution for them. Our value proposition in part comes from a need to be business efficient. And that takes a different type of investor than to appreciate that, right? So right away, because of these things that as you follow kind of the chain of thought of of your value proposition, you realize if somebody's specialty is to invest in, uh, 
you know, what we call B2B SaaS, which is uh, businesses that sell software products to other businesses. Um, so the B2B is business to business and then SaaS is software as a service. So um, somebody who specializes in that space is not going to be particularly keen to invest in Banting. Um, yeah. Not because that person doesn't think that it's an important problem, not because they don't want it to be solved, not because they might not think this is a great approach, but it's just not what they do. We all have professional expertise in certain areas and, and choose to make decisions in certain ways. So you have to be willing to recognize like certain segments and use your value proposition as a way to figure out who do you really need to invest your time on? Who, who do you want to bring on board? Anytime someone's investing in you, like or in your company, you should, you should vet them. Because you are selling them power in your company. They're, you're selling them influence in your company. And, you know, you should understand what's their style of influence going to be and do you want that, right? And so, so value propositions are um, people, I think, get nervous to talk about it too much and they always want to sell to, like, the largest number of people as possible. But that's really not what you want to think about. What you want to think about is I don't want to spend this huge chunk of time chasing after, you know, 60% of people that aren't going to even listen, you know, or, or that I'm not going to even solve their problem. Well, it's not that they won't listen, but I won't solve their problem. So why would I spend 60% of my time talking to them? I want to know that I want to weed that out. And I want to spend 100% of my time on the 40% that I can solve a real problem for. Um, and I'm making numbers up for the sake of example here, but yeah. No, but this is something that you've uh, talked about quite a bit in, in some of our in some of our conversations. So uh, you would always say, you know, X, Y, Z wants me to do this or, or build this or, or say this. And you're like, but, you know, my, my product is then not for you. Like if, if you don't align very clearly with what I'm building and my values, then like we're not on the same page and like that's okay. And I think sometimes a lot of people get caught up in, in, in exa exactly what you're saying is like how can I make my product something that everyone wants to use and everyone loves and everyone, you know what I mean, aligns with. And and the reality is, you know, that's not true. You just have to know what your company is doing, what your values are um, and and who you're specifically trying to target and, and that's not going to be everyone. Totally. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think people let their feelings get hurt in a way that's not necessary, right? The fact that somebody doesn't align to your value proposition, um, when it's, you know, you need to make sure there's a sufficient number of people that do, because that's your, your company's ability to survive is going to rely on there being a minimum number of people that participate. But, uh, when it comes to a one-to-one -one basis, I, I don't think, I think people get their feelings hurt. Like, oh, this person, they say they like these sorts of projects, but they didn't invest in me. And then people get defensive and they're like, what a hypocrite. And it's like, no, I mean, they're not going to invest in everybody. Um, or they get super offended, you know, with like, oh, I, I'm not good enough for them kind of attitude. And that's also really unnecessary, right? So like, uh one, you shouldn't give away your agency to somebody else in that way, right? Like you should, you should be able to be confident in the value that you provide, but two, you should be flexible to think about it. Um, it, mm -hmm. it, you should know what you believe in. It's like, you should have a plan, but you should be open to changing it. Um, so yeah, anyway, that, that, that's a little bit off track, but, uh, I, I think that people, would benefit from recognizing that when there's not a business alignment of interest between two people, that that it's not necessary to be personally offended when that occurs. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It just I, think I, not- I think I just accidentally phrased that in the double negative, but I think the point uh, comes across. Yeah. When you pitch your your idea and you've got multiple value propositions, how do you like you have to pitch differently, right? For for every single audience, um, and like how to figure out basically how to how to pitch in a way that like the people in front of you want to hear. I think that's um, I think that that's probably a challenge in different ways for different companies. I think that. And depending on on what exactly that looks like, it can change where it's difficult. Um, for for me and for Parm and I with Banting, because our value proposition is so, our founder passion or fit for it is so tied to the human elements of it, um, um, and and the user need, right? Like that's that a lot of for Parm, some of his founder passion fit comes around the user experience and designing for that. Um, and, and for me, it, it comes in a lot with how I think humans should be treated and how I think we should treat one another, especially in, in the examples of the healthcare space and this highly vulnerable space. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, of pieces there. As a result, because we're so user and patient focused, our founder value proposition very easily aligns with the patient value proposition, which is to save them money. Right. Which, like I was saying before, like that's where we have to be like, cool, if we're going to try to save people a bunch of money, we have to th- focus on serving large numbers of people to make that work um, in a in a way that's still a sensible business at the end of the day. And and sure. so when we go through that process, it's then how do you pitch that to investors? And that's something that yeah. it was very easy for me to pitch it, but it was also very easy to see like there were certain very specific moments uh, I was I was speaking uh, one time I was pitching uh, to an investor and they said, well, I see how the economics of it work out and, you know, your numbers are fine, but I don't see why you don't just double the price because you would still be providing a lot of savings to people. Mm-hmm. And it was... They just don't get it. They, and like, they just totally didn't get it. Um, and I actually ended mm-hmm. up giving them, uh, I said, well, uh, here's the thing. Uh, there are people that when they walk into a drugstore they buy a travel size tube of toothpaste. And it's not that they don't know that they're getting ripped off. They know they're getting ripped off. They know it's a much better value to buy the larger tube. But mm-hmm. that isn't the number of dollars they have in their pocket that day. And those, the reality of diabetes is that it strikes across the population and it does not care about things like that. And so when you ask, why, why don't I just double the price? The answer is because that truly does uh, make me unavailable to the people who need this the most. And that would, and that, that, and it, and it, and it just completely misses the point. So this goes back to value proposition, right? For me, the moment that question was asked and they were very, I gave them that response. They were very game about like, Oh yeah, I get that. Okay. Um, But I knew at that moment that I didn't want their investment, that it wasn't going to be a good fit because what talk about not getting it. Right. Yeah. Um, talk about not understanding the fundamental value proposition. And if you don't see clearly the fundamental value proposition that this business provides, then that's not influence that needs to be in the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and speaking of healthcare companies in general, have you, cause, cause I know you've been through a round of, of fundraising. Has it been difficult to find people who get it? Yeah. So the thing is people, it's it's not difficult to find people who care about it and it's not difficult to find people who want it who think it's a, a valuable problem that needs to be solved and want it to be solved 
Um, but that doesn't mean that all of them invest their money in that area because they don't feel qualified to evaluate it in a lot of cases and, or they don't feel like they offer a sufficient value proposition. And so an interesting thing about investors is that they, there are certain behavior patterns that pop up by geographic location. So the same way that certain types of companies tend to be founded in certain cities or regions, um, investors also cluster. So for example, when you think about direct-to-consumer companies, uh, that's, that's a really big LA uh, Los Angeles thing. And so even though, you know, the LA startup community has been growing, but where it's really grown is specifically in that area. And so in the Bay Area, there's a lot of the investors are focused on B2B. They're um, focused on software products. Uh, and that's not a universal statement, of course, but there is, that is the more dominant emphasis um, in the area. And so there aren't as many investment groups that really focus on mass market uh, companies or uh, right. There's there's a certain type of of, cons- of customer type that you often see investors kind of investing based on who the customer is going to be, um, unless it's very mm-hmm. te- uh, technical or, or, or a very technology driven company, then they'll start investing by technology type. Um, and that's like a, a I'm just broadly generalizing a type of investment pattern that exists. There's obviously a lot of others. Um, so for me, I think that for a long time, I would have said, yes, it's kind of hard for me to find investors that both get it and are willing to, uh, put the money in upfront. Right. Cause of course, as there's traction, it's always easier to fundraise regardless of any of these points. Um, having said that once I, because of how the investor networks and the system of introductions works, once I found someone who did get it. Then suddenly I was being introduced to a lot of people who got it and it became relatively easier. Mm -hmm. So I would say that now, uh, having gone through that first part of the process, it just changes how I would vet and rank uh, investment groups to speak to in the future. Right. So like when you target your list of who's Mm -hmm. going to who you want to reach out to to pitch to um, and get an intro to. Mm -hmm. I think that the way that I approach that has has changed dramatically since uh, you know, since when we first founded the company and we first uh, went out to go pitch. Uh, from the Yeah, day. it's very intentional now. Yeah, um, it's very intentional, but also it's that I see the value proposition differently of what I'm looking to get from them, right? So I, mm-hmm. it's not just that I'm selling a certain value proposition, but the value propositions I see from them, my priorities have shifted. And so that's changed mm-hmm. what I'm looking for as well. Right. I have a better understanding of what my needs are as a founder and as a CEO to grow and scale this company. And as I understand that better, it changes what I need from people that are going to offer me support. Are they going to offer the support that I truly need? Yeah. Well, actually, that that brings up something I, I did want to talk to you about, which is uh, I, I know that when you, you know, you come up with your final pitch deck and you're like, OK, I'm ready to go out there, out there and fundraise. And I I know that that process changes, you know, from like the beginning of like you fundraising to the end. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you've said that right now. Right. So what, what kind of, what was your experience like and what advice do you have for people who are going out there to pitch? Cause I know a lot of it has to do with like, you could have one idea, but pitch it two ways and get like a lot of buy-in from people or zero buy-in from people. And it's all about the value proposition that you highlight. Um, so yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I think one, it, it, 
it's going to change radically depending on what stage of fundraising you're at in terms of like, are you looking for angel investments? Are you looking for a pre-seed, seed, getting into the series A, B? Um, you're, you're going to have to use slightly different tactics at each of those steps um, in terms of how you approach your fundraise. Just strate- from a strategic perspective, it has to be different. Um, but I guess probably the best advice I can attempt to give uh, as someone who hasn't been through all of those steps to give a comprehensive rundown of that um, is I can say what I'm thinking about for my next fundraising round and what my goals and targets for that are, Um, Mm -hmm. which is that, um, okay, so, so there's a chicken and egg problem. Actually, I'm going to go back. Uh, There's a chicken and egg problem when you first start a company and you're wanting to, to pitch for it. Um, or people often feel like there's a chicken and egg problem. It's pretty solvable though. Um, but, and it's that you need to get feedback from people. Um, but you also like, uh, are trying to get some concrete investment or you're trying to get, um, like you're, you're wanting to seem like you have a concrete plan and get their response to it. The thing is when you approach somebody and say, I have a concrete plan, then they're going to be immediately kind of like, you're putting yourself on a very uh, limited spectrum where it's like they either say yes or no to your plan, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. If you go to somebody and say, so I have some thoughts and ideas about this, let's engage and discuss. Now you're going to get feedback on lots of little points. The challenge is that um, people often feel like it's hard to take that. Let's randomly discuss things. Now give me, now can I have money for this thing that I'm still very open-ended about? A lot of people feel awkward with that. And because they feel awkward in how to mediate that conversation, it doesn't usually go that well. Um, or and, and the conversation might go fine, but it doesn't always turn to money. Um, and then in the in the reverse, you go out and you ask for money, but like you seemed overly unreceptive to feedback. And so it's like, well, this is close, but not quite what I want to invest in. Maybe if I see traction. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that people can easily get stuck in that. And I think that where you can get out of that is um, through developing a community of people to have discussions with, um, that are networked with people who would potentially want to angel invest, but don't necessarily have to be the people you would be asking to angel invest. So, um, Mm -hmm. in this particular case, like the on deck community would be an incredible example of that, right? Go into, um, and there's other communities as well. Um, I, I mentioned on deck because both you and I have gone through that, but, you know, go into that space and, ideate and talk to people and get feedback. And some of the people in there have incredible experience with fundraising, have incredible experience um, with investing in a lot of cases. And you can really start to to refine that way so that then when you go out to pitch, you you have uh, you have that combination of confidence, uh, but also uh, you understand a lot of the different perspectives that are going to come up around your idea because you've really talked to a lot of people about it. And so you're going to be able to have much better conversations without being defensive around the idea space because you're familiar with the criticism already and you're comfortable with it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so in terms of like what I'm thinking to go back to where I was said, I was going to go what I'm thinking about for my next fundraise. uh, I definitely want to make it a tighter process. I definitely didn't know how to control timelines uh, effectively or as effectively as I would have liked to on the last one. I understood that there's a value to keeping tight timelines, but I didn't fully appreciate uh, well, uh, and I appreciated it actually. I, I just didn't know how to execute on that. And so mm-hmm. just the fundamental mechanics of like, okay, a few weeks out, start scheduling the meetings, things like that. 
Um, so, so that's one thing that, uh, I would like to do also because it's very time and emotionally expensive to fundraise. Um, so it's, you know, you, you don't get to be as product focused. You can try and you do try, but it's not the same. So, um, so tighter process for sure. Um, but also there are, you know, as you, as you go through having this journey of lots of conversations with people, a lot of times you find people that are willing to help you. And so there are people that have offered to help with uh, refining the pitch um, and, and, you know, from both from like people who are investment advisors um, or fundraising advisors, rather uh, people who are investors. So for me, I'll be activating that network and having a lot of discussions and, and having, having all of those hard, weird, awkward, potentially awkward discussions with them so that when I go do this tight fundraising time, I'm comfortable with those conversations and uh, I'm ready to go down any path of conversation and, and know what's going on. And it's not about being scripted. It's just about really, it's, it's a type of user research in its own way, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's definitely a major focus for me. And then also um, the, I think I finally have, I think I finally started to reach a place of understanding the hardest part of a pitch deck for me has always been the uh, financials slides, which I think is true for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But uh, figuring out what to include, what not to include, because there's not one universal answer. And that can be hard because you're. everyone will tell you, well, you know your company best, but everyone you show that slide to is going to be like, oh, but you should include this. Oh, but you should include that. It reached a point where I had investors telling me, you can merge this down into one slide and delete this part, <laughs> right? Which is like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. Um, so it really is. Uh, but I, I think I finally reached a place where in understanding the business and understanding the business model, I know what the most important pieces are to make it work. Like I know the parts that are the most fragile in this system or that are the most like robust to be to be proud of. Those are the things that I'm going to include in my pitch deck because those are the important elements. And an investor that really understands the business will realize that. Um, and they don't have to magically realize it on their own. I expect there to be a conversation. And I can explain, like, these are why these are the pivot, you know, like or the, the pivotal uh, metrics to look at. Um, and then that's a different conversation of, oh, you, you do understand your company and I can now appreciate that. Um, so, like, mm-hmm. p- un- understanding those sorts of pieces, I think. Um, is probably what I'm most excited to try to actually implement. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, this was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And what most people don't know is that we're going to hang up and continue talking for another eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> so um, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you on our next episode, which is about fundraising, which I think, Kennedy, you've done a great job of kind of um, hinting at you know, or I don't, I don't know if it's hinting, but you've, you've showed how intertwined value proposition is with fundraising. And, uh, for our next episode, hopefully we'll talk about what people go through when, when they're fundraising and, uh, do's and don'ts and what the process is really like. So yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Hi everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening. Check out next week. Cue the cool music. (laughs)